Hey, good morning. Good to be back with you again. I am. Did you ever hear that story of Spurgeon when he was with the uh, the students of the pastor's college? He made him go up and make a sermon up on the spot. And one guy said, I am a man. He took Zacchaeus, you know, as his text. And he said, I am a man of short stature. That was his first point. My second point. Zacchaeus was, and he goes, so am I. And then he goes, Zacchaeus was up a tree. So am I. Zacchaeus came down, so will I. Boom, and he walked away. So I felt like that, you know, I'm a man of short stature. I come up and this is, so anyways, and Spurgeon gave him a name. So that was very clever. Well, good to be here with you today. Um, I don't, uh, I don't, you know, sometimes I don't know where to begin, so let's just pray. Because right before I get up here, everything starts changing and my notes start not looking so good. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the God of the first century. You were the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, there are people here this morning who need you to be that God. They need to know that you are the God of miracles. You are the God of breakthroughs. You are the same Jesus that will reach out and touch anybody, anywhere, at any time. Even then. Lord, you are a God who will redeem failure. You are a God who will restore brokenness. You are a God who will take the biggest screw up in the room and say, I'm going to use you for my glory to be a model of grace to everyone around you. Because right now, that may be all you have is my grace. And it's sufficient for you. It's enough for you. So Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that you would speak through me. Speak to individual hearts. Lord, that this wouldn't be a a time where a guy gets up and entertains. Father, I pray that this would be a time where we all sit at your feet, including me, Lord, and we do the one thing needful. That is to gaze at you, Jesus, to look into your face, to open our eyes and to open our ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, those things that that Vince talked about, if you had told me that 20-something years ago, that I was going to do those things, that we were going to see people from the LGBT community raise their hands in the middle of service saying, what does all this mean for me? This grace and love and mercy. I'm a lesbian. I was on our first day of our church plant in Refuge Long Beach, and I remember just saying, the last time I checked, nobody gets a separate gospel. And she came to faith that day, and she was one of many from all different types of backgrounds who came to faith. And I remember just kind of that day thinking, Lord, and there's a bigger story behind that, but all of our stories, you know, are, are, are part of a bigger picture and a bigger work of what God has been doing. But on any given day at Refuge Long Beach, I can remember one day where we came away and said it was just another typical day in our church plant. A transgender prostitute used the ladies' room, caused a, a one woman to, to get all upset. A pit bull bit our Sunday school teacher. 
And a guy made change out of our offering. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> no. Oh, I, need, I need 10. No. That was just another typical day. But I think if you had backed up the clock and talked to the 11 of the remaining of the 12 and said to them, as Jesus did, greater things than I've done, you're going to do. I don't think they would have believed it. In fact, their entire ministry was them trying to just sit back and let Jesus do everything. Remember the, the, the feeding of the 5,000? Lord, we don't have any food. He says, you give them something to eat. That was, that was cheeky of Jesus. That was, you do something. You, I want you a part of this mission. I want you to be active. I want you to be a part of what God is doing in the world around you. And the amazing thing about that is, as they took that boy's fish and loaves and they began to break it off in their hands, the miracle literally, as they were breaking off and dispersing, they only had a a few loaves. It, It wasn't getting any smaller in their hands. It just kept being able to break off a piece and give it and break off a piece and give it. Have you ever felt like that? Where God is using you and you're saying literally, it's like a miracle is coming out of my life right now. The the living God is using me like a treasure in a jar of clay. He's doing something incredible. And I'm almost, I don't even know how this is happening. This week I was uh, taking an Uber in Burbank we were at a L.A. church planning assessment, and uh, I didn't want to talk to anybody about Jesus that morning. I didn't want to talk to anybody about anything. I was up at four. I hopped the train in Carlsbad to go to Burbank. I had to get on the train in Oceanside at 4.53 in the morning. So when I got to Burbank at 8 a.m., the last thing I wanted to do was have a conversation. I got in the back of the Uber car. And I judged the guy right away. I'll just be honest. I judged him. I didn't like him. <laughs> you ever have that? You just, you, I don't like you. Uh, there's no, I just judged you. I just met you and I don't like you. <laughs> and no, that never happens to any of you. I know. But I can tell you one thing. You don't like these people because you're all sitting over there. I'm just saying, I'm on to you. You people, you people, you know, you've never, you people have, so... <laughs> And he asked me, what do you do? And when I don't want to talk to people about Jesus, I say, I'm a leadership trainer. (laughs) And that's what I said, because I don't want to talk. And he said, what kind of leadership trainer? (laughs) And so I said, I train church planning trainers. And he said, oh. He looked in the rearview mirror and he asked me, do you think God still talks to people today? I said, yeah, I do. He had moved here from China. He was a, he was a hipster. <laughs> you could tell he was all about the hip hop. He had been an MC DJ. And as I was writing with him, it was the easiest gospel conversation. I made it late to the assessment. 
because we pulled over the car and he completely surrendered his, his life to Christ. I'm not a sinner's prayer kind of guy. You got to know this. That's not what happened. We pulled over and we talked for an additional 30 minutes. And it was God. The weird thing is, is that I was trying to get this right and my Uber wasn't working right. And I had to shut down everything on my phone and restart it. It said no drivers in the area. There's eight guys circling around. You're like sharks, man. I could see them on the little map. <laughs> and he told me that his first, he had driven all the way from Santa Clarita for like 45 minutes. Because he saw a spike in Uber and he thought he could make some money. And his first rider canceled right before me. It was a divine appointment. A sovereign God at work. And here's this guy, this knucklehead, who doesn't even want to talk about God on his way to assess church planners for you know, how, how well you're doing at that. <laughs> and the most encouraging thing is that Jesus takes these guys and uses them. To me, I felt like, like Philip out in the middle of the desert. Like, it was such an easy conversation. It was, like, it was like he was doing all the talking. God was doing all the heavy lifting. And, and it could not have been an easier conversation than if an Ethiopian pulled up in a chariot next to me and said, I don't understand Isaiah 53. Will you ride with me and explain what this is all about? I don't know who he's talking about. It was literally that easy of a conversation. And it just reminded me how Jesus said, Father, I praise you that you are working and have been working until now. You see, part of my, my story in reaching the unreached, and we are getting to the Bible. I never do this before I open the scripture, but part of the story is that all those things that Vince mentioned, I wasn't that guy. If you had talked to me 20-something years ago, all I wanted to do was read my volumes of systematic theology and drink coffee. The biggest <laughs> risk I ever faced as a minister was possibly the risk of burning my crotch with hot coffee, if it spilled, <laughs> or getting radical paper cuts from turning pages very fast. And I found myself staring one day out the office of my second story window in a megachurch in Huntington Beach. Bored. The longer I had been in ministry, it seemed the further I got away from it. Here I was running a church. And I started reading the book of Acts. That jacks you up. If you're a minister, that jacks you up. I started asking, why is what I do nothing like what Paul did? I looked out the window when I was making this prayer, and this was my dangerous prayer. God, I want to experience things more like this. And I, I have stories about how God took my hand very gently and didn't just chuck me in the deep end and say, okay, sucker. I was waiting for that. But literally began to very slowly take my hand and walk me just like Jesus did those 12. See, because right here, this is it. He's about to send them out. We're about to get into Acts 1.8. And he's about to launch them out. But he had three years with them. Very gently, very carefully walking them through what they were supposed to do. 
I think like uh, Bilbo Baggins, The Hobbit, we're all very reluctant adventurers. And yet within us is this conflict. We're kind of bored if we're not engaging in mission. Tozer said that the Holy Spirit looks down Sunday by Sunday upon a congregation. And when he sees the believer who says, God, I'm just so bored with the whole thing. That he looks at that one and says, now there's someone I can really start to do something with. Acts 1.8. Did I ask you to turn there yet? I did, didn't I? You're like, yeah, are you going to get to it? Acts 1.8. We'll start with verse 4. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And I love that. <coughs> because they were basically asking, Lord, are you going to fold this down? Or are we going to like make a big show are we gonna is this the time where you bring it all home lord you know we go to heaven like bosses you know we show them all and jesus says kingdom restoration is none of your business but let me tell you what the business of the church will be for quite a while kingdom expansion not kingdom restoration it's not time for that that's a mystery don't worry that will happen when it's meant to that's none of your business but your business is kingdom expansion. And then here he says in verse 7, It is not for you to know the periods that the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power. Here comes a kingdom expansion. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And geographically, that's how the book of Acts is laid out. It starts in Jerusalem, it moves to Judea and Samaria in the chapter right before Paul's conversion. Then Paul gets saved in chapter 9. And then chapter 10 is Cornelius. So you start seeing the ends of the earth. And then the rest of the book heads to the Gentile world. And it ends in Rome where all roads lead to, but therefore all roads lead out of. It's the central point of the world. And so Jesus is here in these verses and he says to them, I need you to wait. He says, go. But he says, but first wait. Now, I know that as preachers, we always like to say that these guys were scared. And they were, they were shivering and frightened and confused. And they were all in the upper room. Mm -mm. Never says that in the text. We've made that up. Never says it. In fact, you don't tell people to wait unless they're chomping to go. Chomping at the bit to get out there. Jesus says, go. Now remember, there were two disciples that just had hours with him on the road to Emmaus, and their hearts were exploding. They were burning. We can't help these things. They're, they're just, you know, boom, they go and they tell everybody about it. Here's the disciples spending 40 days with the risen Lord, and afterwards, they cannot wait to get out there. So what does that tell us? Jesus says to him, I know you've been prepped. And I don't care how many PhDs you got in ministry or theology or whatever it is. Jesus poured three years into these people. 
Nobody was as prepared in the history of the world as these 12 people. Nobody. Personally discipled by Jesus for three years, 24-7. Then 40 days with the risen Lord, and yet he tells them, wait, you need something else. You need power. Now this is old school. I'm about to talk old school. Do you ready? You ready for a little bit of old schooling? This is old school. Right? Jesus tells him, you don't got this. You don't got this. This mission is bigger than you can possibly carry out. Because we're so ready to go, right? We're so ready to rush out. And Jesus says, no. I want to use you. I want you to get your hands on it. But I want you to know where the power comes from. I want you to know that I am ready to do the heavy lifting. And by the way, guys. This morning, I'm going to talk about outreach. I'm going to talk about mission. I'm going to talk about all those things. But I'm not going to beat up on you. We're so used to hearing people beat up on us over mission. You know why I'm not going to do that? Because the New Testament never, think of this, New Testament never does that once. Never once does God beat up on you about getting out on mission. Isn't that crazy? And every time I've heard a, 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 something about mission or evangelism, is someone beating up on me about it. Get out there more. Why don't you go out there? No. It's exciting when you start looking at it. Time and time again in the book of Acts, they keep falling back on the Holy Spirit's power. And they get out of their depth. So they go out and they share. Acts chapter 1 happens. Boom. Peter's a spectator. He doesn't realize what's going to happen. 3,000 men, not counting women and children, come to faith right there on that, on that day. And then they get... Question, persecuted, miracles are happening. Stuff's starting to pop for them. This is new territory. And suddenly, when that happens and they get persecuted, they go straight back to depend on God in Acts chapter 4 and they confess, God, we don't got this. These guys are coming against us. Lord, look upon their threats. And they're a little bit scared. You see, whenever you pray, prayer is a confession of inadequacy. Prayer is a confession of the soul that says, Lord, I don't got this. I need you. And so this is the, the, the continuation of that power that they tapped into where they said, Lord, you showed this to us. You have to do the heavy lifting. You see, we all want Acts chapter 2, don't we? We talk about it. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they met daily. You know, they broke bread. They this and that. But here's a profound truth. Acts chapter 1 comes before Acts chapter 2. In order to be in Acts chapter 2, church, you got to experience Acts chapter 1. See, for 10 days, what? not many days from now, you will receive the promise of the Father. Not many days from now. Why not right then? Why not, Jesus, while you're here, just give it to us now. He wanted them to feel out of their depth. You see, so many times with outreach, we put it off because we don't feel good at it. We, we, we don't share the gospel because we don't feel like a professional. Think of it this way. In the early church, it wasn't leave it to the professionals. Scholars tell us that on average, the Apostle Paul only stayed in each city that he planted in three to four months. Do the math. It's 11 years. There's anywhere from 12 to 24 churches. Travel time, three years in Ephesus. When scholars looked it up, three to four months, Paul would be in your city, raise up leadership, and blow the heck out of Dodge. So it wasn't leave it to the professionals. First thing Paul did was he raised up others who could raise up others. It was a body ministry. It wasn't leave it to the professionals in the first century. It was the professionals leave. 
they quickly move on. So the plan of the Holy Spirit was to move through each individual believer. And the amazing thing is, is if every single one of us is a part of this, it's okay to feel out of your depth. In fact, that's what I think Jesus wants us to get. If I could make a slogan for evangelism, it would be, smile stupid, it's supposed to be hard. (laughs) Right? Like, you're supposed to not feel like you got this. You're supposed to feel like, I don't know where this is going. Because you're not in control. A sovereign God is at work. I remember the first time I had my Cornelius experience, I was a missionary on the field in Wales. Had a barbecue, Anna and I, a lady came over, her neighbor, they come over, he's stoned, she's drunk, or vice versa, I don't remember, they get in this huge rip roaring fight, right, as we're eating our barbecue. And they leave literally yelling at each other down the road. And then the lady turns and says, thank you very much, it's been lovely, and then goes back to yelling at her husband. And Andrew and I looked at each other like that. We're never going to see them again. And we've been praying for them. They're our neighbors. And what happened was we showed up. We just prayed. We kept praying. And we showed up to her house one day. We didn't know this. But she had been reading an Al-Anon prayer book for 12 years. Opening that thing up and turning to that higher power, whoever it was, didn't know if it was a he, a she, or an it. And praying. And I kid you not, I walked into that house and the presence of God was so thick you could cut it with a knife. Now I had been a reformed Christian for years. I had uh, uh, been at Lloyd-Jones' church as the evangelist for three years and all of my theology had kind of reinforced this doesn't happen. Right? There was a lot of that going on. And when I walked in, I, I didn't I was a little bit scandalized. I was a little bit upset. I'm the missionary. I bring this. I bring this. This can't be here before me. And God began to show me, you're just playing in the whitewash. In that same town, and some incredible things happened there. In that same town, a woman, she was a Buddhist, she, she was in our Welsh class. Andrew and I took Welsh language. We were terrible at languages. I, in fact, the teacher hated me because I tried to make funny sentences and, you know, was terrible at it. But about a year later, I was walking in the marketplace, and this woman that was in our class, she owned her own garden business. And like I said, she was a Buddhist, and she said, Peyton, I don't... I'm so glad I bumped into you. I have something to talk to you about. It's really weird. Really weird, and I don't know what to do with it. She said, I was hammering things together. She knew nothing about the gospel. I was hammering planter boxes together in my garage, and she goes, I had a vision of Jesus. So, reform, evangelical boy. Um, I remember the story of Luther. Apparition of Jesus appeared to him. He throws an you know, ink pot at it and says, I rebuke you, devil, and it disappears. So that's what I'm thinking. I'm scandalized, and she's telling me a story. Check out what she said next. She said, I don't know how, I don't know why, but 
I just saw this vision of Jesus on the cross, and I knew Peyton. He was dying for me. Why would Jesus die for me? My theology's like, you know, danger Will Robinson, danger. And I couldn't, I'm like, okay, okay, I don't know. I, I said, because he died for you? And she came to faith? And her whole family came to faith as a result of that experience? God began to show me, I am the same God, Peyton, that you read about in the book of Acts. And here's what I've learned since. The more front line you go on mission, the more like Acts it becomes. Have you ever wondered why the missionaries have all the good stories? Because every time that Jesus promised power in the New Testament, it was connected with mission. Every single time. Think of it now. Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. I own it all. I can do whatever I want. Therefore go into all the world preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So there's that promise of power. That's what he's saying with authority. And then lastly, he says, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. His presence. Power and presence promising connection with mission. You see, it's no wonder if we strip mission out of Christianity that we're bored. Because the reason the Spirit was given, on top of other things, indwelling, but the reason He was given for His activity was for mission. Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come up. That's power for mission. And you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Do you see the connection? Every time. That's why it's not a circus. It's not a freak show when the Spirit's moving. We can't bring it in here. It's not meant for in here. I'm saying the Spirit doesn't move in our midst. But the Holy Spirit is already at work out there more than we know. And the call to involve ourselves in mission is God saying to us, come on, you want to have fun? You want to go on an adventure? Because years later, I was miles away from being that pasty white, because I was pasty white, because I was inside all the time. I was trying to change the world from behind a desk. And let me tell you something, that doesn't work. Paul didn't even have an office. Paul was out there in the midst of people nonstop. And so the reality is, For you and for me, we are meant to be out of our depth. We are meant to feel powerless when it comes to evangelism. Because we are. And that's okay. It's extremely encouraging. What do I mean by power? I probably should define that. Um, Think of it this way, right? Um, There are times God's working around you. And you're like in the the calm, the, the eye of the hurricane where it's all calm. But all around you, God's moving in power. It's kind of like we, we did this series of baptisms once and people got saved every baptism. Boom, boom, boom. It just became a, a knock-on. And there was one night, I'll never forget it, where, you know how Paul says in Corinthians that people realize God is among you, his presence is so strong. And it says fear will seize him. I was afraid. I was in the water, literally, like I started getting a taste of what, uh, you know, uh, 
Paul says when he says great fear, or, or some of the Old Testament characters, where they're just a little bit like, whoa, whoa, I'm out of my depth. You're here in power. And I remember looking, and there were all these unbelievers that had come to see their family members get baptized. And they were getting saved right there in that meeting. And I remember looking at them, and some of them were like, What's happening? And there wasn't anything weird going. You have to understand. It's kind of like when Spurgeon stood up in the Surrey Gardens Music Hall. And he was testing out the acoustics. And he comes in. And he's just, they haven't even met there on Sunday. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And up on the balcony is an elderly repair agent. Now this is 1857, 1859. It's during a global revival. And you can, you can read Spurgeon's revival year sermons. This was that time. God moving. I said I said I was going to take it old school. That's old school. You start talking about revival. That's old school. But on that top balcony was an elderly gentleman. And he was fixing the seats. And he immediately started crying out to God for mercy and grace and came to faith. There's just those times. There's times where you can go 15 rounds as a boxer. You can be like Mike Tyson. It's a knockout punch. The other day in that Uber car, was a knockout punch. And the good news is it wasn't me. And I want to encourage you this morning that it's not you, it's not me. We have to embrace those feelings of inadequacy because here's the reality. The Holy Spirit is in you, working at all times, whether you realize it or not, right? I was talking to a guy last night. He mentioned that uh, he, he teaches electricity um, for, for uh, mechanics. He works on trains and... Um, you know, big, heavy machinery. And he teaches a course on this. And he says, you have to have faith to believe in electricity. He goes, you have to act like it's real. You get in a lot of trouble. He goes, you can't see it, but you can definitely feel it. <laughs> this is the last night he tells me. I said, that's going in my sermon. Because he said, yeah, it's, it's weird. Because I was telling him about things that God was doing. And he goes, that's kind of like what I tell my students. He goes, see, you, you believe this stuff. So you act on it. See, it, it, when you know God is working harder than you are to reach the people around you, it's super encouraging. And that's been one of the greatest secrets for me when it comes to outreach. is to know, like I said, when Jesus says, Father, I praise you, you've revealed these things to babes. You have been working. You are working and have been working till now. It's just that you enter into that slipstream. You become a part of that. So here's the deal. Everybody thinks that they hate evangelism, right? Because you've only seen one model. For example, if I say, um, uh, here comes the evangelist. He's coming down the hallway. You know, he comes through the door. And you're like, oh, no, it's him, right? Because, like, evangelist, you're thinking, like, he's going to take me to the mall. And he's going to hand me tracks. And I hate that stuff, Right? Cover for me, you know. Oh, I'm gonna straighten these bullets. I was on the table. I look busy. Can't, man. I'm doing stuff, right? And everybody runs, you know. And someone goes, "Hey, hey, how you doing, man?" You know, like everybody takes a short straw. Because we've been told evangelism is this, but notice how Jesus doesn't say the Spirit will come upon you, become evangelists. Not all of you are evangelists. That's not gonna. But He says you will all be my witnesses. There's a big difference between being an evangelist. That's actually a role in Ephesians four. And I know some great evangelists, and they do want to always take you with them. That's kind of the job that they serve in the church. They want to take you to go be evangelist. 
But you're not all called to be evangelists. You're all called to be witnesses. And being a witness means that the Holy Spirit's in you. And he naturally diffuses through you. See, when the Holy Spirit came and resided in you, what he did is he put a Jesus costume on you, but it was a U-shaped Jesus costume. What do I mean by that? Well, imagine like we got a costume contest up here. And we, we, I say, hey, Star Wars costume contest today. And Luke Skywalker, first round, all the Lukes come out. And you know how it is. Like, some of them are like, you know, they got terry cloth towels. And like, these are my robes, you know, and, and a broomstick for the lightsaber. Then you got the guy where he went on Amazon. And he bought the FX props. And he's like, and you're like, oh, that guy totally won. But the reality is, you can tell that it's all Luke Skywalker, but they all look very different. And when those judges come, they're going to judge on different things. God has a specific role for you. Whatever your witness of Jesus, whatever your Jesus costume looks like, it looks like exactly what it's supposed to look like for the people around you. If you're an introvert, it's because probably you're really good at listening. And people really need good listening. On that car the other day, that Uber driver, I was listening. And I am not an introvert, but 4 a.m. made me an introvert. (laughs) It's powerful when you listen to people and let them tell their story. You have a power in you that God wants to use. For, for us in that, in that church in Wales, I mean, I got a million stories, which I, was, I hate telling my stories. You have to know this about me. This book got rejected because I had no stories in it. And they said, Peyton, we know you. We know you have stories. Tell them. I didn't want it. I, the reason, I literally stayed up one night tossing and turning wrestling with it and I finally said like that Uber story I wasn't going to say anything about the Uber story and I thought maybe it'll encourage people that God is still at work and I, I didn't want God to be at work at that moment but God wanted to be at work and he caught me up in a slipstream when we approached we had college students getting saved we started approaching them saying hey guys um, you know your friends are telling us that they want to kill themselves and they this and suicide's a big deal in Wales Right? There's a documentary about it on Netflix. And we said, look, um, what do you guys want to do to reach your friends? And they said, we don't know. Because, you know, like, they won't come to church. And we said, that's okay. We started that church in a Starbucks, by the way, on a Dan Brown Da Vinci Code reading group. That's a whole other story. It's an accidental <laughs> church plant. Right? <coughs> Didn't mean to. Accident-driven church. Right? Get your heart out, Rick Warren. <laughs> So here's the deal. We said, well, what do you guys like to do? And they said, we like to play video games. In fact, that's pretty much all we do. We don't do much homework. And we said, we could do that. Why don't we have video game nights? And it's not like at the church, right? Like it wasn't a youth group. We just said, well, look, um, we'll pay for the food. You know, someone will host it in the house. And we'll get like four TVs, four Xboxes, and we'll hook up tournaments. You invite all your friends. That became, and we had different, we had uh, film clubs because we just learned, just build relationships with people. Find, find the conversation people are having and get involved in it. Just, just start building relationships and just be a witness. And God will do the rest. And so Xbox night was every other week and... On the off week, you know, they'd have these raging tournaments and then someone would say, hey, are we doing this next week? No, we do it every other week. Why not every week? Because we got a Bible study the next night, right? So next week, that guy who kicked your butt on Halo, 
Master Chief over there, he's going to be leading it next week. And we taught them and discipled them on how to reach their friends. And we weren't there. And those baptisms came out of that. Because those kids just started reaching each other like crazy. We saw some radical things. But if I told you that being a witness looks like playing Xbox, you'd be like, I like Nacho Libre. I think I would like that kind of respect. I think I could do that. That's how God wants to use you. He's got a U-shaped Jesus costume on, and he's going to glorify you as you become activated in your gifts. And it's not going to look like anybody else. I'm a book nerd. I read books. I'm reading a book right now by Nick Hornsby that is literally a book about him reading books for 10 years. (laughs) So it's quite natural for me to start reading groups and have discussions with people. And start church at, like, I didn't know that, but it was just me. I, I didn't try to start a church. Andrew and I just wanted to join a reading group, and there were none, so we started one. It became a church. God wants to use you, however and wherever you are. That's the beauty of it, before we, f- we finish here. Um, this went very different, by the way. I, I, I had better notes than this, so if this has been terrible, um, please know my preparation was probably better than my delivery, but I, I asked, uh, 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 I can't remember your name, I'm so bad. I, right before I said, hey, pray for me, because everything's changing right now, and that's always really bad before it happens. It could be either really bad or really good. But Peter connects what happened on Pentecost with everybody being activated in their gifts. Acts 2.42, you know all that is? Is it's what a church looks like when everybody's been activated in their gifts. That's what it was. Notice, you don't, everything that happened in the Gospels, everything that happened in the book of Acts didn't happen in church. Becoming raiders of the lost art is how to reach the unreached without a church building. I'm all for church, and I'm all for central gatherings, and I love preaching, and I love hymns, and I love all that. I'm more old school than most. I just hide it really good. I'm super traditional in my heart. But when I read Acts, I realized all this stuff is happening out there. It's all being done outside. And when I prayed that dangerous prayer, God, I want to be a part of that, I found that God was out there. He said he'd be with us here, but I found him more powerfully out there. And I wanted to be out there experiencing the things that I experienced there. And I know he wants that for all of us. You see, I can imagine Paul rolling through your town and Paul goes, hey, want to go on an adventure, Timothy? And Timothy goes, maybe. Because Paul had a bad reputation, you know. He wore out men like John Mark and people couldn't keep up with him. I want to go home, Paul, you know. (laughs) Paul's like, come on, suck it up, buttercup. Let's go, you know. Eight hirelings for breakfast, wore young men out. I mean, you study, I, I always tell him, I don't think you'd like to go with Paul. <laughs> but Paul had 11 years of being frustrated and pent up. Jesus appears on the road to him, says, you're going to open the eyes of the Gentiles. 11 years later, Paul's sitting there going, it could have been somebody, Johnny. He's working on his tents, back to the family business. Knock, 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 it's Barnabas. Hey, man, there's something going on in Antioch. Remember that crazy talk you gave us 11 years ago when you visited Jerusalem? We all thought you're nuts because Peter hadn't had his vision yet. Three times. That's how, that's how thick-headed those guys were. Three times God had to appear to them and tell them, Gentiles, Gentiles, Gentiles. When Paul went, he was like a bull out of the gate. 
He was 45 years old when he got started. 45 years old when he got started. And he began to experience that thrill of God using him, fulfilling what the Holy Spirit was deposit, his calling. And I want to encourage you, because here's the reality. I, I, I cut myself off here, but when Peter at Pentecost, when that powerful thing happened, people said to him, Peter, go home, you're drunk. And Peter said, the taverns aren't even open yet. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is what Joel prophesied about. Then in the latter days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters, your manservants, your maidservants, your young men will see visions, your old men will see uh, dream dreams. And this promise is to you here and your children's children. This is a perpetual, ongoing covenant. God will do this. Peter literally connects evangelism to the gifts of everyday, ordinary believers. That's where the power's at. That's where it's at. You see, I spent many, many years as a pastor trying to preach to my church as an audience, but spending my whole sermon trying to tell them not to be an audience, whipping up on them. Go on, get out there. I wasn't out there. No wonder they were. I hadn't discovered yet how God wanted to work through me. Just like Paul, maybe you haven't yet. But I'll tell you one thing in closing. God wants to work through everybody in this room. And I'll tell you how we know that. Look at Pentecost. Look at, look at what happened in Acts chapter 2. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. Power's going to come. Do you ever wonder why it was Peter standing up there preaching that day? There was 10 other guys to choose from. We know that Peter was the biggest screw-up in the room. That's the one thing we know about Peter at that stage in his ministry. The biggest screw-up there. I mean, I'm sure the other guys are like, really, Peter? <laughs> you know, Lord, I mean, you know, I didn't do what he did. You see, if you're going to tell people about God's grace, are you going to use perfect people? If you're going to use a guy to stand up and powerfully, like Paul said, I will boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ might rest upon me. When I'm weak, he is strong. That goes back to what we said in the beginning. He does all the heavy lifting. Dependence upon him. And I want to encourage you, maybe this morning, just to pray that dangerous prayer. If you're bored this morning, just to say, Lord, I'm going to be real with you. I'm just going to say, Lord, I know there's more. So many men of God, George Whitfield crying out on the bed, I thirst and just <clears throat> so frustrated. Billy Graham stepping out into a clearing and saying, God, there has to be more. These were people at the end of their, well, really at the end of themselves. And at the end of themselves, in their own desperation, they found God saying, let's begin. Glad you got here. Let's pray.
Lord, if it's true of our salvation that we have to come to the end of ourselves and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I, I can't do this. Then, Lord, it's the same with our sanctification. It's the same with our activation. Lord, it seems to be the same thing all throughout Scripture. Even back to Adam and Eve, dependence upon you for everything. The very thing that Satan wanted to wean them off of. And then at the temptation in the wilderness, Satan's trying to get Jesus not to depend upon you. And Lord, same with us. He tells us, you're not good enough. You're not ready enough. You're not equipped enough. You're not passionate enough. You're not broken enough. You're not prayerful enough. They're all lies, Lord. Because the only thing we need to be used by you is the death and resurrection of Jesus. That was done for us. And through surrendering to that, Lord, there comes power. Your cross is the grace that we need. Your resurrection is the power we lack. And so, Father, we submit to you and we praise you this morning for Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that each one of these believers is about to go on a series on mission, being activated, and being released in the power of your Holy Spirit. And I ask, Lord, that you would anoint them all in their weakness, in their brokenness, that you might breathe life through them into the lives of others, that others would experience the Holy Spirit, Lord, like that electricity, which can't be seen but can be felt. I pray even if they're not conscious of it coming through them, Lord, that you would be moving in power all around them, and they would know that you are working anywhere they go because they're there. And if they're there, that means you're there. In Jesus' name, amen.